Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. Well, today is a great day. We have Dr. Hal Mayer in the house today. Man, it's a blessing all the way from Florida. I think it's just outside of Ocala. He'll tell you more about it. But he's a friend, a mentor to our ministry. He's pastored for many years. He's planted a church. He's led large ministries. He's influenced countless. He's written books. His wife is Sandy. They have two children, five grandchildren. He's got his earned PhD. You know, it's easy to just, they kind of give them out nowadays, but he's got an earned one, okay? That means you actually had to study and, and do papers and, and chat GPT wasn't around to help him back then, all right? So some of you got chat GPT helping you with school. He didn't have none of that. And so we're going to see a bumper video. And just after the bumper video, Pastor Hal Mayer is going to come and bring us the word. And when he comes up, would you give him a nice, big Southridge welcome? Can you do that? All right. Media team, let's show the bumper. And then Pastor Hal, you come and bring the word to us. I fell in love with you when I was a little girl. I hungered for competition and strived for excellence. But for a while, you were something that my hands had such a tight grip on. My identity was tied so tightly to a game that leads to failure almost all of the time. Then I met Jesus. I learned I have a loving father who died for my sins and has a plan for my life, a plan to give me a hope and a future. My perspective changed when I realized you were just something I did, not who I was. I have met some of my best friends and my future husband at OU. Praise the Lord. But even more so, the Lord has given me a platform to shine a light that the world tries to dim. With this mindset, I have played the most joyful softball the last five years. What's crazy is that this joy doesn't come after big wins, home runs, championships, etc., because all of those things will fade away. I am filled with a steadfast joy when I see one of my teammates decide to get baptized and become a sister in Christ. My prayer when I started college was that I could be a vessel that the Lord uses in his kingdom to bring others to know him. As I leave college softball, I pray that others can know how loved they are by the creator of the world and that Jesus can use you in mighty ways. You just need to be willing and obedient. Sincerely, Grace Lyons. Well, good morning, everybody. Would you guys cue that back up? I'm gonna use it later on in my message. It's my fault, I didn't give you the right instructions. So, uh, Forget that video. <laughs> you need some context before we use it, right? So I'm sure glad to be here, Southridge. It's, it's always fun to, to, to be with you. All the flight out here is never good. I'm a large human, and they make these planes for little people. I don't get it. It's, it's like they just say, where can we put? And so I'm 6'5", and there's another guy 6'5", sitting on the window, and I was sitting on the aisle and then I'm looking for somebody smaller to grab and pull in because the flight was full of Southwest, you know, the cattle call. And uh, this guy sits down, but he's got shoulders this broad. So I was smelling like man by the time I got here. And I'm not sure what to do with that. So uh, I don't know why that was said, but there you go. <laughs> it's good to be at Southridge. How, how's life, guys? You doing good? So I've been working good. I've been working with your staff for a couple of years now, coaching them. And actually, I'm starting to love California. Is that crazy? 
I mean, you've got mountains when I'm driving. I can see down in Florida, it's only a mountain if they have a trash mound there that, that you see. The weather here, you guys are whining about the heat. Stop. <laughs> uh, you've got In-N-Out burgers. Come on. But you know, the thing that's keeping me in Florida is Bucky's. How many have been to a Bucky's? Yeah, you think Walmart and Wawa had a baby. And you've got Bucky's. All this stuff inside 136 places to pump gas. Uh, it's fun. You'd have to be there, I guess. But how about this new building? Is this sweet? Yeah. I mean, do you all realize what you have? I know church planners around the country. I can't even tell them about this. This is too nice. This is really good. I mean, I was with you over at the hotel, and the difference is night and day. Um, and seeing you move in here and, and take over things. But I want to say this. This is not the goal. That's right. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's a tool, yes. but it's not the end. Because if it in and of itself was the goal, this place would be filled three times. Mm. It's on you, right? Yeah. And, and we're not done yet. I mean... Our, the goal here is to help people find and follow Jesus. And if, if that's the case, this is a tool, but it's not the only tool we have. Finally, I want to say thanks to Micaiah, Pastor Micaiah, for inviting me. And uh, he's one of the most passionate guys I work with. And I'm convinced he can grow this into a gigachurch. And I'm not sure why, in this sense. He married Jane, okay? And I'm not sure if that's representative of his prayer life, that God can't say no, or his persistence that she couldn't say no. I don't know how that happened, but those two together are really something else. Do you know that? Yeah, give them a hand. Uh, they work as hard as anybody I've ever met at this. And, and they're big faith people. They're bet the farm people. And a huge love for Jesus. And it's just fun to come out here and see what God's doing. You know, if I was in San Jose, I'd be here. But I said, y'all don't have Bucky, so that probably won't happen. Actually, I don't think my wife would leave Florida because I've got all the grandkids within a couple hours of us. You know, so that's, that's a tough one. But this is going to be good this morning. So look at the person beside you say, take some notes. You're going to need this later. Go ahead. Wasn't much enthusiasm in that, Micaiah. <laughs> It was 1980, before a lot of y'all were born or were a glimmer in your parents' eyes. We moved to Fort Worth, Texas. My wife and I, I had been coaching. We had one child. <clears throat> he was uh, nine months old, uh, 10 months, and we moved there to go to a place called seminary. Now, we don't do seminary much anymore for pastors, but that was a place where you get trained in how to lead churches and things like that. And, and now it's kind of like more remedial work. If you don't know what you're doing, go to seminary, and then you'll really be confused. <laughs> so we moved there. I'm working three part-time jobs. Uh, after two months being there, we're, our second child is born. And yeah, and so Sandy is typing, my wife Sandy's typing papers for me at night. I'm working three jobs, going to school full-time, and we spent two and a half years doing that. And I'm, we were worn out. Can you imagine? I mean, I think about that now, and I'm thinking, no way. I'm not in. I'm not doing that. So finally, last semester, I'm thinking, now, God, we've honored you. We've been faithful. We walked away from everything we had, and now we're here, and we're ready to go somewhere. 
So I get this call about a month before school's done. And it, what happens in seminary, these churches will call and interview you and they'll often hire guys out of there. So I'm thinking, okay. And this church in Memphis, now that's where my wife is from and I'd coached there, so I had friends there. And I'm thinking, hey, we get to go home, back home. And they said, we want you to come. We want to talk to you about being our group's pastor. So I said, yes, great. So flew up there and uh, interviewed with the committee and talking to the pastor on Sunday afternoon. And he said, listen, Hal, the committee loves you. And I thought, yeah, pastor, what's not the love, right? <laughs> I didn't say that. And so he said, I'm sure they'll get a hold of you because we want you here. So I'm going great. So we're going home and I'm calling my friends. Hey, thanks for praying. It looks really good. I'm calling family and, and we're all excited. And a week goes by. Now this was before email or texting. I know you, some of y'all can't imagine that. I, they couldn't post it on Instagram, right? Nobody was out there. So I finally, about a week and a half later, I give them a call. They said, oh, our committee hadn't had a chance to meet. Some people are out of town. We'll get back to you. Well, I wasn't as smart then as I am now. Now, you know what happened. They called me a couple days later and said, hey, Hal, this just isn't going to work. You're not the guy. And I'm telling you, I was crushed. I mean, I had to call family and friends and say, yeah, didn't make the cut. Wasn't good enough. You know, I'd sacrificed. I thought, God, is, is that how you do? I mean, we sacrifice like this and, and you allow that? How, how could this be? Honestly, it was a big piece of ego, wasn't it? Because I had friends who had gone in the first draft and I'm still sitting home waiting for that phone call. Where was God? Why didn't he open that door? I mean, that seemed to make sense. So what do you do when God doesn't show up like you hoped or planned? What do you do? Uh, do you remember a time when Jesus didn't show up that way? I mean, you hoped, you planned, you prayed, and you thought, yes, and he doesn't do it. Maybe you're in a job and you're doing all the right things and they fire you. I got a wife, kids, what am I gonna do? Or maybe your kids walked away from God. And you, you pray for them, your friends pray for them. How, how does this happen, God? Why is this happening? Or maybe you and your spouse are going through a rough patch. And you're trying to do what's right and you're trying to fight through and then you find out they've found somebody else and they're leaving and going to divorce you. But God, we, we committed this to you. Where are you, God? What, why wouldn't you show up the way I hoped, the way I planned? There's no way this is your plan for my life. All these have one thing in common. Jesus didn't show up the way you hoped or planned, or expected, right? right. It, it just didn't fit the narrative. I mean, he, he's supposed to do this. Well, in Luke chapter 24, there's a story of a couple guys. One of them's named Cleopas. They're walking back from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's about a seven-mile walk. It's Sunday morning, the, the Sunday after Jesus has been crucified. And, and they're talking. And you can imagine they're rehearsing. <laughs> It was amazing. We, we thought this Jesus was the Messiah. He was going to come to free us from Rome and the oppression and their tyranny. What the Messiah we were looking for. 
But it started so well. They, they went into town the first of the week and palm fronds being laid down. He's riding on a donkey and, and people are saying, Hosanna. And they're going, we picked the right horse. We're betting on Jesus and, and he's the right one. We're in this. And they talked about the miracles he'd done. But by Wednesday, things started turning south. That's when Jesus walked into the temple. And these guys were selling things, but it wasn't just a matter of selling things. They were selling sacrifices to people and upcharging them to make a lot of money on them, right? And Jesus walks in, fashions a cat and nine tails and drives them all out. These guys are thinking, Jesus, whoa, 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 you had the crowd with you. They were voting for you, Jesus. And it continues to slide the rest of the week. Finally, Friday, he's crucified. What happened? They believed Jesus was that Messiah that was promised in the Bible to deliver them. And he died. They'd mourn for the weekend and then had to head back and start their lives over. See, they were followers and, and now they're going back. So let's join them on that journey. I'm in Luke 24, verses 13 and 14. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were, making, were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And as, and as they walked along, they were talking about everything that happened, the miracles. Jesus raising people from the dead. You can imagine. Finally, our rescuer has shown up. However, verse 15. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly began walking with them. So Jesus walks in with them, but God kept them from recognizing him. Now, two things are happening here, I believe. I believe not only did God keep them from recognizing them, but they weren't looking for Jesus. That's not the Messiah. He's dead. Verse 21, we had what? Say that with me. We had hoped, hoped he was the Messiah who'd come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. See, then he was killed. They, they had hoped he was the Messiah. If you had that hope, God's going to heal my son. God's going to fix this marriage. But he wasn't the kind of Messiah they wanted. See, they were looking for a political leader a fix-it leader. And he didn't do that for them. They were dejected and really had bailed on Jesus. Well, let me ask you, how do you respond? If Jesus doesn't show up the way you think he should, right? Or other people tell you he should? Is that your story? Maybe God healed your friend's wife who had cancer but yours is going to die. God, why, why, why would you heal his wife and not mine? God kept your friend from going under financially. Just a miracle. Somebody came in, or great financial windfall, and you're going through bankruptcy. Maybe you didn't walk away from Jesus. Maybe you just minimized him, Right? You just kind of shrunk his size in your life. I mean, you used to pray every day, but now it's, 
you know, I'll pray some, but he didn't give me what I wanted. You know, I used to go to that church and Jane had me serving. And that was good, but, you know, I, I don't need to go. I can meet God on the golf course or at the beach or at a Raiders game. Probably not a Raiders game, but uh, I said that for Selena. I'm going to give you something here. God is more committed to your character than your comfort. Write that down. And I'm going to circle back around on this, but here's what God's interested in. He is interested in your development, not you being comfortable. He's not interested in making it an easy road for you. (laughs) We used to have helicopter parents. Y'all, some of those, some of y'all, their product is some of them. You know, they're watching everything their kid's doing. They now have this thing I call lawnmower parents. They're preparing the way for their kids cleaning up all the bumps, the rocks, and everything in the way. They want to make sure their kids have no problems. And so they're looking now for a lawnmower God. That's not the one. God's plan is to develop you. You know what it's called? Life. Life. And I'm going to explain that process in a minute. But I got to tell you, I'm ashamed sometimes about the things I allow to hijack my peace and my hope. Back to church in Memphis, when they rejected me, I forgot all about God had done for me. Because he didn't give me what I wanted. I mean, yeah, I had forgiveness. I had a wife who was healthy. I was healthy. Two healthy kids. I could provide for them, but that wasn't what I wanted. I was like a stinking middle school's child at Christmas. You got one of them? They wanted something. You didn't get it. Now they're dejected. Are you kidding me? You get this? All I could think about was me. I was embarrassed. I was rejected. Yeah, it was a big deal, but I allowed it to rob my joy. So I'm flying out here thinking about the message when I'm sitting between those guys, when I'm sitting in that row with those guys. And I think, God, you're amazing. You're going to make me practice this gratefulness on the way out here, sitting flesh to flesh with big people. So I thought about it. So what's hijacked your day recently? The AC gone out? Oh, it's hilarious to me. I call them first world problems. You know, oh, I don't know what to do. Dear Jesus, please help that air conditioning guy get here sooner. I'm going to die. What do you, I have people like, I said, really, nobody, I've been into Burkina Faso, Africa, and nobody in Africa is going, oh, please get the air conditioning restored. They don't have it. We have these first world, Lord, I need a second car. You're killing me. Now, I'm not saying don't pray about it. You ought to pray about it. But when you allow that to rob your joy, well, God hasn't given us my car broke down or I had a flat. Oh, So I'm not a big mercy guy. I guess you figured that out. I'm not saying those are small issues. And I'm not saying you shouldn't pray about them. Don't hear me say that. Don't go out here quoting me on that. But when you allow it, and I allow it to hijack my attitude, right, and my joy, I've missed God. I need to reframe. 
I need to look back again what God's done for me. And look at the gain. So when you're facing some pain, you go, wait a minute. God's got this. And I'm not saying you miss the pain. That's called life. What I am saying is he'll go in the furnace with you. Story in Daniel. Three guys got cast in the furnace and Jesus was in there with them. Have you ever noticed that uh, we have this picture of what we think Jesus is going to do, and when he doesn't do it, we hit a wall? You know, he didn't get you that job. He didn't save your marriage. He didn't stop your kid from cycling in and out of rehab. He's, He's not the Jesus you're looking for. See, these guys went home dejected. I'm going to give you two big reasons why I think we often miss God's presence, miss Jesus the experiencing him in our life. The first one is this. We're looking for a cultural Jesus. Now, this is a Western theology. It's not found in the Bible. But it's this vending machine Jesus, I'll call it, right? Say the right prayers, press the button. Um, Do the right things, press the button. Give enough money and press, serve it. God's supposed to be our genie. We, we, we put in our behavior and pull, you know, we, we get out what we want. Only in America can you preach the prosperity gospel. Doesn't work in China. You give your life to Jesus and you lose stuff. The gospel fits everywhere. We've got to quit allowing people to westernize it. So the first thing is, we're, we're looking for a cultural Jesus. So here's the question. When you pray and God doesn't obey, do you walk away? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Ah, he didn't give me what I wanted. I tried that. Or second reason, and this, this is as big as any of them, is pain. Now don't hear me diminish pain because I know many in this room are in pain right now and many have had severe pain in your life. The longer you live, the more opportunity there is for pain. Maybe it's just the pain of rejection. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's a, a, a failure you've had. But here's the challenge with pain. When you and I face pain, the initial response we have is to turn inward. Okay? Because you got hurt. I get that. Makes sense. But if we fixate there, we're going to get stuck. Yes. Okay? I know people. I live in a place called the Villages. Uh, it's a 55-year-old up in community. There's probably 140,000 people living there. We call it God's waiting room. <laughs> and I was telling Makai yesterday about the house and all these upgrades. He said, wow, that'll help when you sell it. I said, I'm not selling the house. I'm finishing up here. My kids will get it. What do I care what they get, right? <laughs> oh, you kids don't think that's funny. All right. Amen. <laughs> that's an odd place. <clears throat> Listen to how the, the Apostle Paul responds to pain. They're out preaching the gospel, and it says, a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. Now, they're going to strip them publicly and publicly beat them. That's a public shaming. Just shamed publicly. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. Around midnight... Paul and Silas were whining to each other about how God had left them. How, oh wait, that's not in the Bible, is it? 
Y'all weren't listening. <laughs> Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. Are you kidding me? They were beaten with rods. They've got oozing sores. And singing hymns to God. And other prisoners were listening. It's not because they could sing well, I don't think. I think it's because their response to their pain. Who does that? Who responds to pain that way? So here's what Paul's process was. First of all, he worshiped. So from that inward look, he looks back to God. And he begins to worship God. See, pain will turn you inward for healing. But if we're not careful, we get stuck there. So worship is what's gonna set us back on God. And so instead of healing, though, if we don't focus on God, instead of healing, we allow our pain to define us. So we become our pain. Uh, I, I mentioned I live in the villages. You can talk to people for a minute and I will find their pain point. Kids that don't call them anymore. Grandkids with no manners. All these hurts, they never dealt with them. So that pain is defining them. Don't let your pain define you as the lady who was fired at her job. Or the person that has kids with discipline problems, or that addiction, that's not what defines you. God gets to say who you are, right? That's right? Second thing Paul did, not only worship, but he recycled, now this is key here, recycled his pain. When he did this, he focused on others. Now think about this. Paul wrote about half the letters in the New Testament. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon were written while he was in prison. Read those narratives and I, in Philippians, he's saying, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You're going, are you kidding me? You're in prison. He's not on a beach in Hawaii drinking a Mai Tai. He's in prison. How do you do that? He understood what God was doing. See, here's what's interesting. Not only do the prisoners recognize, but if you read farther in that chapter, the jailer comes to faith. Why? Paul wasn't throwing a pity party. He was following God through the pain. So if you were stripped and beaten publicly, it'd be a tough gig to turn and thank God, right? And worship God? So probably what we're facing is not equal to that. So I'm not saying what's happened to you is not painful. Don't hear me say that. What I'm saying is if you continue to focus on that pain and don't recycle it, it will destroy you and create what Hebrews calls a root of bitterness in you. And bitterness has this root, and if you don't deal with it, it comes out, it spews out on people about everything. What if we changed our process and when we hit pain, we remembered, okay, I need to worship. And second thing, I need to look for others. I want you to see what Paul does. 1 Corinthians 1, 4, what he says. Talking about God, he says, he, God, comforts us in all our troubles so that we can what? Comfort. Comfort others. When we are troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. See, God doesn't want you to be a reservoir. He wants you to be a river. All right? A real picture of that is over in the, in, in the uh, Middle East. You've got the uh, Jordan River live with all kinds of fish flowing into the Dead Sea that's got nothing alive in it. Dead Sea's a reservoir. The Jordan River 
is a river, obviously. So let me, here's, here's the question. If God's going to comfort you so you can comfort others, obvious answers to these questions. Who's the person best to help somebody struggling with an addiction? Somebody who's been through it, right? Who's the best person to help you struggle with your child's turning away from God? Somebody else who's experienced the same thing. Now, you've got to be careful. You can't own your kids' mistakes. Do you know that? Up to about 13, 14, 15, you can pretty much be in charge of their life, but by that time, they get smarter than you, and they lie, cheat, steal, and do it behind your back. And then when they're 40, they tell you what they did. At least that's what I did to my parents. Who's the best person to help you deal with getting fired? Somebody who's been fired. God wants to recycle your pain and turn it into a ministry. Don't you sit on your pain. Allow God to use that so you can help others, right? That's what it says. All right, we're going to jump back into the story with Cleopas in Luke 24. Verse 22, he's talking to Jesus, and he says, then some of the women from our group of followers were at his tomb this morning. Now imagine them telling Jesus this. And they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and that the angels had seen, that they had seen angels who had told them Jesus is alive. I don't know what happened for these guys. But they dismiss the angels and they figure, well, he really wasn't alive. They were just misunderstood. See, sometimes when God does what he promised, we miss it. What did Jesus promise he'd raise from the dead? Read the New Testament. Read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. But they didn't see it because that wasn't what they were looking for. Wives, you ever send your husband to the store to get something? And he comes back with everything but that something? You know why? He wasn't looking for that something. He was hungry and looking for what he needed. I make my wife send me pictures. Because I will forget and come home with anchovies and pizza. And if you don't understand anchovies and pizza, it's the next level in following Christ. <laughs> Sometimes <clears throat> when God does what he promised, we miss it because we're looking for vending machine Jesus. Yeah. We're looking for what we asked for, not for what he promised. Jesus promised he was raised from the dead. They missed it. Yet they finally recognize him, and here's what happens in verse 32. They said to each other, <clears throat> excuse me, didn't our hearts burn within us as he walked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? Now, in the rearview mirror of life, they're looking back and they're saying, wow, it was different walking with him. He was there with us. They missed him in the middle of their pain, but he was there, right? You too? Sometimes you miss him. I wish I'd have responded better to that church in Memphis. Trust God's promise of partnership more than our perception of his presence. Trust God's promise of partnership more than your perception of his presence. So God's promised to be with you, right? Psalm 23, you can find many passages. God says he'll be with us. You don't always see him. You, you miss him. Trust his promise 
rather than your perception. Make sense? So be careful with feelings. They will jack you up. Pastor Mackay mentioned earlier, our hope's in this word. And, and that's his promises. Trust that. Now, there's a story in the Old Testament I love. A guy named Elisha was the prophet. And he was the guy who followed Elijah. And anyway, he's camped in the middle of this valley. And they're surrounded by enemy armies. He and his servant are there. And the servant's going, we're getting ready to die. Why are you relaxed? Verse 17, then Elijah prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw the hillside around Elisha was filled with the horses and chariots of fire. Here's what he realized. God was there all the time. He just didn't see him. Here's what I'm telling you. God is in the middle of your pain with you. You just don't see him. That's why you worship him. Not for what he does, but for who he is. God doesn't do anything else for me the rest of my life. I am way far ahead. All right, here's another one. If your present doesn't match the promise, trust his process. A lot of P's there. <laughs> if your present circumstances don't match what you believe God's promise is, Trust his process. It's not yet. What's his process? Let me tell you what that is real quick. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, Peter says, don't be surprised at the what type of trials? Fiery trials, Fiery trials you're going through as though something strange were happening to you. It's not strange that you're going through that. We don't get to miss out on that. Well, what kind of God is that that allows us to go through the fire? Because there's only things that will be developed in the fire that can't be developed when stuff is good, right? Do you know 11 of the 12 disciples died as martyrs, yet I think I get to get out of a cold? Right? Paul's beaten, yet I get a pass from pain? Here's, here's God's promise in the middle of that. James chapter 1, verse 2. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for joy. Now just pause there. What type of sadistic, masochistic person is this? Troubles or joy, really? You need to be rewired, Paul. I think those beatings got to your head. Now he says this, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So you don't grow on the mountaintop. By the way, go up on the top of a mountain, nothing grows there. Doesn't. Where's the growth come? In the valley? That's where you learn to trust God and he develops you. See, if you're a parent, grandparent, you got family members, friends, if you're not in one of those groups, I don't know how you're here, but you're, you're one of them. You want those people around you to learn how to follow Jesus? They're not gonna learn from your great stories of God answering prayer. Oh, that's cool. They're gonna learn from how you deal with pain. What do you do when you get fired unfairly? Do you go home and rant and rave and talk bad about that person? Well, they did this at church. Really? Church isn't perfect. You've discovered that, right? If it was, we couldn't come. The person beside you is really jacked up. And they're looking at you thinking the same thing. 
So when you get fired, how do you respond? That's what they're watching. I don't care how you do when it's good. Anybody can do well when it's good. When your health turns south, when you're not winning, they're watching. And I want to make sure my kids and grandkids and friends get a picture of the real Jesus, not some cheap knockoff vending machine Jesus. Some people say, when things go wrong, I'm just going to turn away. No, when things are going wrong in your life, that's the time you turn toward Jesus. Chapter 24 of Luke, last part, verse 33. And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. Now catch this. That's seven miles home and seven miles back. I don't know that I walked 14 miles in a week. No, come on, you're laughing at me. I'm looking at some of you. <laughs> How many of you are, I don't want to know. They did it in a day, but I guarantee the speed going home was much faster, going back to Jerusalem. There, there, there was a lift they had because they'd seen Jesus, right? Verse 35, then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them, talking to the disciples back there, and as they were walking along the road and how he had recognized him as they were breaking bread. I love this. Because Jesus showed up in the middle of their pain, they're telling everybody. So how do you respond? When God shows up in the middle of your pain. Well, he should do that for me, right? They make it a billboard moment. So in the pain and in the game, both sides, they're going to make God obvious. God gets the glory, right? That's, that means it's not about you and me. Turn, turn the person's side and say, it's really not about you. Go ahead. Yeah, they're too interested in telling the person beside. Oh, one girl said it twice. I saw that. <laughs> It's now on Instagram. I'm famous. Does it push you to share God's goodness? See, this wasn't the Messiah they were looking for. They want somebody to fix everything. They want somebody to free them from Rome. Maybe we want God's healing, and he wants to use your pain as a testimony. I got to tell you, we've all heard stories of pain and people following Jesus through that. I did a funeral about a month and a half ago for a lady who died over four years of cancer, four years of just slowly. And she was spending those four years going out meeting with other women with cancer, trying to bring encouragement to them. Great gain in her pain for a lot of people around her. So here's a tough question. If it offends you, tell Pastor Micaiah later. If you'll measure your prayer life, it'll tell you whether you're chasing a vending machine Jesus or a real Jesus. If your prayer life is primarily for sick people, how are you saying we shouldn't pray for the sick? No, of course not. James 5 says you should. But if all you ever pray about is Aunt Betsy's liver, right? Or if all you're praying for is your finances or traveling mercies, I don't even know where that came from. Pray for traveling mercies. What does that mean? Is that the different translation that I have? Praying for finances. I remember a guy one time, he had four vehicles and he wanted me to pray that he could sell his Jag. And I looked at him and said, bro, I'm not wasting God's time. Do your best. <laughs> but you're not praying for people far from Jesus that you're building a relationship with. 
then you're after vending machine Jesus. Because the, the Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost. And so if our prayer life is only about those other things, and you ought to pray about them, you should pray about everything. But in the middle of that, if you and I aren't praying for people far from God, we're missing it. We're, we're looking for vending machine Jesus. We're looking for this Western, this Americanized Jesus that makes everything wonderful. See, God wants to use you as a billboard for his grace, good and bad. The Oklahoma Sooners girls softball team won their third national title. You might have seen a video about it earlier today. <laughs> they were 61 and 1, 53 games in a row. Grace Lyons, the senior captain, writes a letter to softball. Take a look. I fell in love with you when I was a little girl. I hungered for competition and strived for excellence. But for a while, you were something that my hands had such a tight grip on. My identity was tied so tightly to a game that leads to failure almost all of the time. Then I met Jesus. I learned I have a loving father who died for my sins and has a plan for my life, a plan to give me a hope and a future. My perspective changed when I realized you were just something I did, not who I was. I have met some of my best friends and my future husband at OU. Praise the Lord. But even more so, the Lord has given me a platform to shine a light that the world tries to dim. With this mindset, I have played the most joyful softball the last five years. What's crazy is that this joy doesn't come after big wins, home runs, championships, etc. because all of those things will fade away. I am filled with a steadfast joy when I see one of my teammates decide to get baptized and become a sister in Christ. My prayer when I started college was that I could be a vessel that the Lord uses in his kingdom to bring others to know him. As I leave college softball, I pray that others can know how loved they are by the creator of the world and that Jesus can use you in mighty ways. You just need to be willing and obedient. Sincerely, Grace Lyons. He may not be the Jesus you're looking for, but he is the Jesus you need. Yes. Come on. Okay? It may not be the one you're looking for, but he is the one you need. As I've talked to some of you today, some of you realize your disappointment with Jesus is because he hadn't shown up like you thought he should. My hope and prayer for you is you dive back into the Bible. Yes. Dive into community with other believers. Get regular and hear coming and hearing God's word, right? Because you want to fall in love with a biblical Jesus. Now, some of you, though, have never committed your life to Christ. And you've never received the forgiveness that only he promises. And, and I want to help you this morning, if you've never done that, to take that first step in following Jesus. The Bible teaches that Jesus died so that we could be forgiven, so that you could be forgiven, so that I could be forgiven. And when we place our faith in him, he not only forgives our sins, he gives us a place to spend eternity with him in heaven and a way to live now that makes a difference. So if you've been coming here kicking the tires on faith, I'm going to bow my head in a moment and ask you to bow yours. And I'm going to pray a prayer out loud that you can pray silently right where you're sitting and begin your journey with Christ. Everybody bow their head with me, please. You can pray this prayer silently as I pray it out loud. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for caring about me enough to die for me. Right now, I place my faith in you. Come into my life. 
and make me the kind of person you want me to be. I want to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can we please stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? I heard Tony Robbins say on a podcast recently that the biggest problem we have today is that people think they shouldn't have problems. It's true. But then I also heard a message two weeks ago at a little country church in Indiana. The pastor just had a small congregation and he said something that stuck out in my mind. He said, God wastes nothing. And I think I'd heard that before, but until he said it on that Sunday at that country church in Indiana, it didn't ever affect me. And some of you think God is wasting the trial on you. Some of you are wondering, why am I sick? Why can't I find a job? Why can't I find a spouse? Why can't my marriage work? Why can't my finances be turned around? Why can't I have the healing? Why does it seem like I'm always struggling? And today's message is exactly what I needed. It's a reminder that God wastes nothing. He's going to use you to help somebody. And right now, the greatest thing is that you know Christ as your Savior. I'm going to ask you to have your heads bowed and eyes closed because I want to pray for you. And I want to give you a moment of privacy where you say, yeah, I've been, I've been kind of feeling sorry for myself. And I've been there. We've all been there. We have a little pity party. And we act like Eeyore. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I can't find my tail. And this morning, maybe we just say, God, I choose joy. I choose gratitude. I decide today that I am bigger than what I'm going through. Because Christ is in me. And if Christ is in me, that's the hope of glory. The hope of glory this morning. So you say with head bowed and eyes closed, you say, Micaiah, would you pray for me? Because I don't want to continue in my pity party anymore. God is working all things together for good to them who are the called according to his purpose. And this morning, I'm going to walk in that purpose. Is that you? You slip up your hand. Can I pray for you? I see those hands. Amen. God bless you. I see those hands. Right here, we got two hands. Right here, third row, we got hands. Right in the back. Yes, ma'am. I see your hand. Yes. In the section on my right and on my left. Hands up all over. Amen. The world needs to see Christians that can go through the storm, that can go through the fire, and that can do it with joy. Because he, as a lamb to the slaughter, was silent. He didn't whine and grumble as he held that cross. As a matter of fact, he had you and he had me on his mind and on his heart. And he did it for us. And then there's a second group. How many this morning you say, I didn't know Jesus Christ as my Savior. But when Pastor Hal prayed that, that prayer of salvation, 
my heart was stirred and I needed to pray and receive Christ. Was that you? You say, today I gave my life to Christ. Would you slip up a hand as a testimony? Anybody like that today? I see that hand in the back. Amen. Anybody else? I see that hand. Amen. God bless you. I see that hand all the way in the back. Amen. Three hands went up. Can we just celebrate with those that gave their life to Christ this morning? That's the greatest decision. Right now, I'm going to ask the worship team. They're going to lead us in a song of worship and praise. Because I'll be honest, I don't always feel like praising. And a message like that is kind of convicting. Especially when I haven't had the best of weeks. But I want to lead here today with a song of joy in my heart. Not because I got a nice brand new car waiting for me. Not because my debt somehow magically was erased. Not because all of a sudden my significant other has finally realized something different about me or something. No, I'm going to go out of here because I choose to. So worship team, would you lead us in a song of worship and praise? And church, that was one of the key points in the message that Paul worshiped his way out of that trial. So this morning, I can't be quiet. I can't just mumble a song. It's okay if it gets a little bit loud in here. It's okay if my heart gets stirred and my hands go up. I was at a little country church in Indiana and they didn't do hand raising. And there I was. I said, this worship ain't that great, but God's doing something in my heart. My hands were like on strings, like a marionette puppet. They just went up because my heart was filled because I decided to worship. The music wasn't very good, but my God is always good. And I can always worship. Amen. So worship team, please lead us in a song of worship and let's rejoice together. Thank you again for spending time with us today. And a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.